Hello, I'm Simon Mundy. I've been on a journey to understand what makes PNG PNG. Along the way, I've been finding out about its life-changing projects and innovative products, as well as speaking to some ordinary people who are making an extraordinary difference in the world. In this series, called Powered by Purpose, we'll be hearing their remarkable personal stories of resilience and resourcefulness, and exploring how P&G impacts the lives of not only the people who work there or those who buy their products, but society at large. In this episode, I'm speaking to a woman who's helping P&G embrace neurodiversity. Emma has a son who is autistic and struggled to adapt to life at school, and dealing with the education system was a real challenge. But with the support of P&G, one Emma certainly rose to. Being a champion for her son enabled Emma to bring some of those same skills to bear for the company, helping people on the autistic spectrum find work alongside emotionally intelligent neurotypical members of staff, which has, in turn, helped P&G become a more innovative company. This is Emma's story. My name is Emma Jane O'Leary and I'm a section head who works in FEI for Blades and Razors. FEI is front-end innovation, so we're right in the upstream end of innovating products and inventing, essentially. I started at PNG. actually I was acquired by PNG as I worked for Gillette. I started at Gillette 23 years ago and I loved the fact that it was so diverse. So I have been in front-end innovation, uh, in that invention end, for that whole of that 23 years on the same site, and I can promise you I've never been bored. It is a balance of science, engineering, and amazingly intelligent people, and it's an amazing innovation culture, an amazing learning culture, and a real family setup. So it's just a fabulous place to work. So I have an, an awesome son, he's 12 years old. When he was born, he was pretty standard child, I would say. He slept well, and then he started to develop some different skills. I think a real pinnacle point for me was when he was about four years old, he was playing in the bath and he had toys in the bath and I was kind of wandering around and putting clothes away and things like that and he just said, mummy, mummy, mummy come and look at this and I went into the bathroom and he had a boat in the water and he was making the water really rough and the boat was falling over and I was like oh yes that's great and then I went back to kind of wandering around and doing my things and my eye I fixed it and I went back into the bathroom and what he had done is he had done a modification to that boat and he was then testing it and making the water rough and now the boat didn't fall over and what he had essentially created was what we know to be a keel. So you didn't think anything of it other than he's a chip off the old block? That was absolutely my bang on first thought is, oh, look, he shows signs of being a scientist and engineer. And I kind of didn't really think any more about it, except to kind of go, how do you create in my work world how do you get people to play as adults such that they are more creative? When he went to school, did perceptions start to change at that point? Yes. So there were indications when he was in nursery, actually. He seemed to have no fear. So uh, they made observations about 
how he would build towers of soft play objects and then climb to the top of them. And they'd never seen any child do that before. Or he would scale up bookshelves. And that made them quite nervous of him. But really, it only came to the front at school. So initially, they would start to say things like, he's always on his own agenda, which turns out to be code. He started year two. Within three weeks of him being in school, they had called me in. And by then, I was starting to have suspicions. You know, I didn't at that time know a huge amount about autism. The only thing I knew was Rain Man, which I now know is not really a very good example. So I didn't really know anything about it. But when I went into that meeting, one of the first things I said was, do you think he's autistic? And the head teacher looked at me. He looked quite shocked in that I guess he thought he was going to try and suggest that in a gentle way. And yet I had come out with it. And he went, absolutely, I do. And that was like, okay, so now we're going to begin a journey. Oh, there were tears and tears and tears. I mean, it stretched me to my very limits. And I remember a particularly traumatic moment where I had gone into the school and he was standing in the library and he was piece by piece emptying a filing cabinet and the staff wouldn't go near him. And... All I see is my adorable little boy who has been put in an environment that is so uncomfortable for him. He's no longer in control. That fight or flight response has kicked in and he has become incredibly aggressive. And very. And the moment I saw him, and there's you can't get angry in those environments, I just wanted to cry in front of all these staff that are watching him like he's a wild animal. And I just went and said, come and give me a hug. And I can still recreate the emotion of that moment of going, all I want to do is hold him. To get from where we were to where we are now was a serious, long battle. It was daily, it was relentless. There were school exclusions and working for a company like P&G, I was able to use some of those skills in that school environment. Every meeting I summarised, I put in formal complaints and used evidence-based facts. And that went on. And for me, it was relatively short compared to other parents because I was so relentless. But it went on for a year. But what I learned in that is if you don't advocate for your child nobody else is going to do that. They can't speak for themselves, so you will have to stand up for them. Victory came when we succeeded in getting the system to listen that he needed an alternative and special placement. And I cannot tell you the elation that came with that. I remember one moment when he started at that new school full-time and they kind of eased them in. And it was the first day in a year that I had made a packed lunch for my son. Now, I'm sure every parent goes, oh God, not making the packed lunches. But in this case, getting to make my son a packed lunch because he's going to school all day, it was such a special moment to go, I'm actually at a point where I can make a packed lunch for my son because he's going all day. The autism is something you are born with. It's a condition that means your brain is wired differently. It's like an operating system. If you think about it, it's a computer operating system. 
He's not running your standard Microsoft or your standard Apple systems. He's running something else. And it gives him a really unique perspective on the world. That's awesome. The key thing that I would want everyone to understand is just because they're on a different operating system doesn't mean they're not completely amazing. They might not socially understand the world around them, but it is okay to be comfortable with the discomfort you will feel. They might get too close to you, they might talk too much, they might struggle to answer questions. If you know that, if you can recognise that it's part of their condition and you can see past that to their real capabilities, that is what I would really like the whole world to know. So I went to a conference, I went to it personally, not from a work point of view, and the chief speaker on that day was Temple Grandin, who's a very famous autistic individual. She was inspirational, but there was one particular individual that totally inspired me to do something from more of a business perspective, and that's a guy called Jamie Knight. And Jamie Knight works for the BBC, and when he walked into that conference, he was with a carer, he carried a four foot long toy lion, he had headphones on, he had his head down, and the person next to me said, that's one of the speakers, and I honestly, I did not believe her. He stood up to give a talk. Now he is non-verbal, so he does not, he's able to speak, but he's not able to interact in a speaking way, if that makes sense. So he could talk at people, but he can't converse with people. And he went on to talk about his life and how he had gone to living a relative level of independence by using technology. Now, he is a coder. So he programs, some of his programs are in the space station and he was fought over. He won Young Coder of the Year at 17. He was fought over by Apple and BBC. And the BBC managed to get him. Um, he does work for the iPlayer, also runs their diversity programmes. And he's absolutely amazing. He cannot cross a road because he can't process the speed of cars. He cannot remember to eat and drink or put himself to bed. And yet he is exceptionally capable, A, standing up in front of 400 people and talking. And he is exceptionally capable at programming. And I looked at him and I was so amazed and I thought, how would I recruit the science and engineering types like him? How would I get that type of talent into PNG? It took me a while to, to formulate how we might do this. And so it was probably 18 months before we'd actually got the funding. So I started having discussions with my boss. I started to write this down. I started to go, what might it look like? And then we got the National Autistic Society involved and they run a programme that helps develop bespoke systems for different companies to help recruit and manage individuals on the spectrum. And I put together a programme that showed that all the world's leaders, places like Microsoft, Google, Amazon, they all have programmes to recruit the neurodiverse. And when I say neurodiverse, autism is an aspect of that. There's also dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, Tourette's. There's a range of conditions that covers those people that might have a slightly different brain operating system. And they tend to be very creative, business leaders, 
but also great in science and technology areas. So we put together a programme that was initially designed for Reading, which is a very technical centre. It means we could do a very hands-on programme. And I went and they gave me a quote for that piece of work and I went to my director and I requested that amount of money to start us on that. And they quickly said yes, actually. It wasn't a huge battle at all, but I needed to show and demonstrate why it would be great, not just for the individuals, but for the company as well. And we are missing out on a lot of very creative, very innovative people. And we want to be the company that is an innovating it leads in innovation and so missing out on these people is not really an option tell me about when you brought the national autistic society into the company and to what degree was that a key moment it was absolutely a key moment because the person that they connected with me is a, a woman called emily schwertek she has actually appeared on a number of tv programs and she is autistic herself and yet you you wouldn't know that. And I absolutely gelled with her. And the result was that we were able to create something that she described as probably the most creative programme she had ever seen by an industry to get autistic individuals recruited in a way that suits them, not in a way that suits us. I mean, that's so heartening that after all the battle and all the challenges to kind of get to a point where you go, oh my goodness, I know what we can do. The other thing is we have people being diagnosed. So there were people at work who got diagnosed as a result of us bringing in the National Autistic Society's training because they went, that's me. And it has been life-changing for people when they go from hiding who they really are to understanding who they really are that changes not just your work life, but your whole life. Were you surprised at what a tipping point it was then when NAS came into the company and the effect it had both on how you felt, on your colleagues, and in terms of the way it was really accepted as, hang on a sec, we're really on to something here within P&G? I don't know that I expected it to be quite so life-changing as it turned out to be now we run our whole program without requiring the national autistic society because we have so many well-trained individuals and so many people with a deep understanding and an empathy that's able to read heightening anxiety in people that are autistic i had people coming up to me going i am so proud to work for an, an organization that enables this sort of thing it was an amazing response from the organization it was an amazing response kind of broadly across p and g people change their viewpoint you stop expecting people to fit into very loosely societal norms the judgment goes away Tell me about some of the people who are on the autistic spectrum, who you have working for you. The most important thing to know about autism is no person on the autism spectrum is like any other person on the autism spectrum. It is a huge diversity of individuals and therefore every single person that you work with, you need to understand how the autism impacts them. So when you've got somebody like Chris, who's absolutely brilliant at 
programming and being very analytical about the world, you need to adapt to what his needs are. There are some things that he's not comfortable with and you make sure that they're just not part of his world. Alison has been, she's a long-term PNGer. Uh, she's a products researcher. And what you start to see in her is actually why she's such a good products researcher. Because she can't understand other people by looking at them, she will ask questions and ask questions and ask questions, which gives her a better understanding of the consumer than most. So all of them have their kind of nuances, things they're good at, things they're not so good at, and you just work within what their needs are. And the, the, what makes that work is mixing uh, neurotypicals that have empathy and emotional intelligence with the neurodiverse that have a skill set in a different way of thinking. The key thing is to make sure, you know, we've got, these are talented individuals. They are not individuals we bring in for a philanthropic perspective. So yes, there is a philanthropy in there, but the thing is that's, that's not doing them full justice. And they understand that there is, it will drive innovation if you increase the diversity. And this is one aspect of diversity that requires a little more management understanding. And they are very, very supportive. And they have enabled me to carry on this program. Each year we have a recruitment program, but we're also putting together various strategies to enable those that are already in the company to have successful careers. Is it fair to say then that this initiative has enabled P&G to be more innovative? Yes, they are recruiting globally, which I think is the rubber stamp for it must be successful because we wouldn't continue to do something that didn't work. And what's your vision then for how far this can go? I would like every manager around the company to have such an understanding of the autistic spectrum that it makes them a better manager overall. If you adapt to and understand autistic individuals, you will also find you will have a much better performing team because it's almost like the lowest common denominator. It makes you plan ahead, construct clear work plans, uh, give them environments that they work in and also play to people's strengths. And so it's not just about the autistic individuals, it's about how it can benefit everyone. Are you grateful for what you went through with your son and battling the system and those highs and those lows and those tears and the, the resilience you had to develop. I'm massively grateful because I've grown as a mother, as a manager, as an employee and as an ability to understand others without judgment, to see them for what they really are. It was an incredibly tough journey and I wouldn't really wish it on anyone. But... What's important is when you go through challenges that you learn from them and you move something forward and you change the world, even if it's only a little bit, to make things happen that benefit other people. Making a difference to people's lives. How important is that to you? Extremely important. I think it's the reason to be on the planet. Like if you're capable of doing something that benefits others, you should absolutely, however uncomfortable, however fearful, whatever negative things you might have inside, you have to step forward because honestly, what is, what's the worst that can happen? 
if you have a belief in something, you have to keep walking forwards no matter what barriers are put in your path. Are you grateful to PNG for supporting your plans and for being the sort of environment that, that allowed this to flourish? Absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt that how they've enabled it and how it has then spread around the company has been amazing. But I'm also grateful for PNG because there were times where, as I said, where I had to drop everything, rush out and get my son because he's been excluded again or we've been through another challenge or something else has happened. And they gave me the flexible working and the, the, the scope to go and do that. And one thing I can say is PNG really does look after its people. They value people highly and they teach managers to value the people. So it, it's not just on our, how we've then grown from there. It's about giving people what they need when they're going through difficult times in their life, whether it's facing health issues or family issues or mental health challenges. I have seen PNG many times step up to support individuals at a low point in their lives because everyone goes through something. We hope you've been inspired by this episode of Powered by Purpose. If you'd like to learn more about PNG, what we do and what we make, we invite you to visit us at pg.com and search Powered by Purpose. And please do get in touch via our social media channels. Just search for PNG. and